0: Thank you, Andy. So I guess the, the real question is, how many, how long did it take you to wake up from your food coma on Thanksgiving? I know for me, it... Whew. Yeah. <clears throat> well, good morning. My name is Chuck, and uh, hey, it's always encouraging to see you here this morning, on a Sunday morning, just ready to worship the Lord. Thank you for that. Uh, Pastor Nathan will be back with us next week as he starts a, a new kind of mini-series on uh, titled Cheerful. So hopefully you'll be uh, for that as well. I'm excited for it. Uh, We are now on a two-week mini-series about the power we Christians have available to us to live the new life. And that new life powered through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And last week we compared the, the refined power... Of raw crude oil to the refining power of God's raw resource, the Holy Spirit. And I I showed you this uh, little diagram in regards to the refining of crude oil. In the refining tower, we see all the properties of crude oil on the left-hand side have to go through different variants of time and heat to be able to uh, output uh, a product called uh, power resources, which we fuel all our uh, vehicles that we travel today in, in our modern lifestyle. And so that is uh, what we do with the, with the crude oil. Without the crude oil, hey, we have no power. We have no power whatsoever to be able to have these like quick times that we can go across the world, quick travel, inexpensive travel, um, as our modern-day travel we see every day. And then we compared that to the refining power of God's raw resources of the Holy Spirit that live in each and every one of us who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then I showed you this drawing from last week. I'll show it up again as well. And here's the refining of the new self, Uh, the believer, indwelling Holy Spirit with all the inner properties of that Holy Spirit, taken through time and heat, as we looked at in 1 Peter 1, and outputs God's power resources, as we see listed there. Without the Holy Spirit that indwells in us, without the heat and the, the time of refining process, of God's testing of our faith through those trials, we have no power. No power to rid ourselves of the old dead self and to put on the new alive self in Christ, which we looked at last week and instructed by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. And to sum it up real quickly, in Ephesians 4, Paul told us to, to rid ourselves of the new of the old self, so that we can actually put on the new self, and then we saw Jesus' example put before us, how we were actually to live the new life, because Paul summed up all the areas that we told us to how to live this new life by this one comment: um, just as God in Christ has forgiven us. And so last week we, we took a, a long look at that term, right there, that summed up how we are to put on the new self, as God in Christ has forgiven us. And we, we saw it really encompassed the, the whole gospel, from the promise of the Father that would send a Savior to take away our sins, to actually sending His Son his one and only son, and became man, and suffered, died, and was buried, and on the third day rose from the grave. And so we, we took a hard look at that, that whole gospel message, and saw that that is this enormous uh, gift, it's enormous sacrifice, it really beyond our, our, our wildest dreams that we could ever even think of uh, in, in the universe. God the Son taking on flesh, of man as the perfect sacrifice, taking punishment that we all deserve as the full payment of our sins, of all sins of mankind. And this is the goal. This is the goal to be like Christ, who did that for us. To, this is the goal, to be the new self. So th- we covered... Uh, that all last week, okay? And so for our message today, we're, we're going to go the next step in our process of becoming the new self in Christ. First, we're going to look at each and one uh, one of the God's power sources uh, that can be refined in us. And then, two, we're, we're going to look at the, the spiritual vehicle called Obedience that is powered by these spiritual resources. And then, third, we're going to take a quick look at the places that we can travel to in the new self, as a new self in Christ. So, today, I would like to start uh, by sharing just a, a personal example of the most common emotion that stops the refining process of God's trials. It is the, one, the most common reaction to God's testing of our faith and that restrains us from actually growing our faith. It's called fear. That's right. You know, I remember uh, at a very young age when uh, I was 16 years old and I got my driver's license. And, I, I, you know, it was great. I could, I could be free and go independent and go where I wanted to. But I had this fear of going somewhere that was unfamiliar to me. Not knowing the roads of that area just struck fear into me. Um, so, you know, what I would do then is I would, I would travel to these places that I didn't know with friends that did know. And uh, we'd go to this place. I'd get a little familiar with it and to the point where the next time... I would risk going it alone now. I could have a little bit of comfort in knowing because now I was a little familiar with that that place. And so this is how I build my confidence is just by expanding these areas to, to go, by having family and friends go with me and take me to these places that they're familiar with that I could be familiar with and feel comfortable. But that fear was still there. That fear was still there. And then I got a job right out of high school. Driving a truck. Okay? I mean, I had every day to go to places that I was unfamiliar with. And, of course, that fear was there. But then I was introduced to something that that played a tremendous part of just practically eliminating my fear. Now, I'm going to date myself here because... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if anybody can remember these things that were back there, back then. You remember the the Thomas Guide maps? You remember those things? Yeah. I mean, man, that that was my savior back then. Because as a result of having that that Thomas Guide book, I could prepare myself every day by mapping out every stop that I was assigned to go. And that mapping out would, would build up my confidence by getting me familiar enough to be able to go to that unfamiliar place. It would bring me comfort, actually, to, and overcome my fear by preparing myself through using that map guide. Of course, now the ability to prepare myself now is much more advanced, right? i got Google Maps. I mean, it practically tells you where to go. Um, and, of course, the Internet. As a result, I, it has allowed me to go to places that I never dreamed I could go, ever go. Overcoming my fear. The same is true, spiritually speaking. As believers in Christ, who have the raw spiritual resource of God's Holy Spirit living in us, with all the inner properties of God, you know, being God, Holy Spirit, living in us, a uh, convictor uh, of our sin, being our help and our guide. I mean, part of that testing of our faith is that God will ask us to go places you've never traveled before, places that you're unfamiliar with, like Paul pointed out in Ephesians 4, places like the fear of speaking truth. When you know that when It'll come with a cost. A cost of financially or relationally. Or the the fear of swallowing your pride by giving over to God your righteous anger quickly so that you don't lose your cool and misrepresent God. Or the fear of giving over some of the financial surplus that you worked hard, you labored hard for that fear of giving that to somebody in need. Or the fear, or possibly the reluctancy of being encouraging, kind, and compassionate to someone who doesn't deserve it. Or the fear of reluctancy of forgiving someone who offends you day after day after day. My friends, any one of these fears that hold us from ridding of ourselves, the old, dead, selfish nature, any one of these fears that are keeping us from putting on the new, alive, unselfish nature will stop the refining process of God's testing of our faith. Your faith will simply not grow. It'll be stagnant. However, if we really do desire to live the new life as God in Christ has forgiven us, that term, remember, as he did to us, we're to do, follow that example, we would all uh, allow that, if we just allow that trial that God is testing our faith with, to just heat us up a little bit, refine us, would produce God's resources in us. And it is through these resources that we'll prepare us to travel to unfamiliar places for God that we never, ever thought we could go. So let's take a look at the, the first of these resources, God's strength. God's strength in Isaiah, we're going to look at Isaiah 41. So if you can turn your Bibles to Isaiah 41. And uh, while you're doing that, um, I just want to talk a little bit about and set up these couple of verses. Um, that I would like to share, they really have to do with the nation of Israel, specifically. Okay, so, however, because the context of what it's talking about, it's describing God's nature. And we know that God does not change, so it can definitely be applied to us as well to know God's nature like this. And so, I'm going to read to you... um, couple of verses, forty-one, chapter 41, starting at verse 7. Follow along with me. So the craftsman encourages the smelter, and he who smooths metal with the hammer encourages him who beats the anvil, saying of the soldering, It is good, and he fastens it with nails so that it will not totter. But you... Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are in angered at you will be ashamed and dishonored. Those who contend with you will be as nothing and will perish. Okay, so chapter 41 is really a continuation of, of chapter 40 describing the greatness of God. And the the two verses I started off with, verses 7 and 8, God is saying to the nation of Israel, hey, instead of hammering out these idols to call upon in times of distress, hey, why don't you call upon me? For I have chosen you. I have not rejected you. And you know, when you think about that for us here today, is that not the same for us? I mean, has not God done the same for you and me who have put our faith in Jesus? Sure. He's chosen us. He has not rejected us. He brought us to the gift of grace, his son. Let me throw up verse 10 that we just read. Now, Isaiah 41, and I want you to notice two instructions God gives Israel. Do not fear, and do not anxiously look about you. Do not anxiously look about you. Do not fear. Now, as with Israel, when we are in difficult times, times of trouble, we fear the worst is going to happen, don't we? We anxiously seek help in all the wrong places to remove that trial before we actually look to God for help. And after the the, the last chapter and a half of Isaiah describing the greatness of God, I want you to notice the, the four reasons God gives to not fear. He says, I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. If we fear seeking help uh, every place, and so that's what we're looking for help in every place and everywhere, uh, except through God, then what we are really saying to God in plain and simple is that, hey, <laughs> I just don't think you can do it. I don't believe you have the power to help me. That was what Israel was saying. They were going to idols. And by doing so, you have stopped the refining process of allowing God's indwelling Holy Spirit to produce one of God's resources in us. And and that fear will we'll just make your faith stagnant. It won't grow anymore. It's been restrained because we're going different places for help than God. If we really do believe that God is who He says He is, who saved us from sin and death, then because of the trial, we find ourselves that we're going through, we should believe in Him enough to, to know that he sees a purpose for this trial. It's necessary for him to take us through to build up our faith, a purpose to do that exact thing, so that we are no longer dependent upon the world for, or our own strength. He's trying to point us to heaven, to be dependent on His strength, His power resource. And you know, the one time you overcome your fear by abandoning your own strength to see God's strength actually in action, you will bring have this comfort that will just come over you to, to overcome fear the next time and the next time this happens. For you have the power of His strength to go somewhere for God that you never would have gone before because of fear his strength let's look at another one of God's resources his faithfulness his faithfulness turn to t- numbers 23 in your old test in the old testament back a few books okay numbers 23 and as you're turning there I'll give you some some time to get there let let me just set the scene Okay, Israel is at the, ne- at the end of their 40 year of wandering in the wilderness. They're getting ready to, to get into the promised land soon. And uh, there's this king that's in Moab. Balak is his name. And uh, he is fearful of the nation of Israel overtaking his country. And so he hires this, uh, this prophet named Balaam. To come and put a, a curse on the nation of Israel, um, and you know it's kind of a funny thing about Balaam. You know, even though he is, he's not a false prophet. He's definitely telling the truth of God's word, but he, oddly, he's 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 a wicked prophet. He he was wicked because of his heart was not right with God. Greed had set in, for he wanted to put a curse. On Israel, so he could be rewarded handsomely by the king of Moab. So, on three different occasions, Balaam spoke the true words of God, blessing Israel instead of putting a curse on Israel like King Balak wanted him to. So, in Numbers 23, we hear Balaam's second of three blessings. So, follow along with me. Verse 17, we'll pick it up at verse 17, chapter 23 of Numbers. He, Balaam, came to him, Balak the king, and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering and the leaders of Moab with him. And Balak said to him, what has the Lord spoken? Okay, now, here it is. Then he took up his discourse and said, Arise, O Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. When he has blessed, then I cannot revoke it. Let me throw up uh, verse... 19 that we just read and I want you to to notice something the rhetorical question that is put here has he said and will he not do it that emphasizes the point that whatever God says will happen and has happened nothing can change it So as believers in Christ, I mean, this really kind of begs the question, do we believe? Do we believe God over man? Do we believe he is faithful? Or will we reject his word because it just doesn't line up with presently a temporary state that we're in of our desires and wants? If we really do believe God is who he says he is, who saved us from sin and death, then when we find ourselves in a conflict like this, regarding the world's view versus God's view, we are to stand for God. Stand for his view, knowing he sees a purpose for us to be refined in this conflict, regardless of the consequences. I mean, this could be you, at school between a teacher and a student the teacher is trying to tell you the world view but you know god's view or this could be you at work and your boss has got the world view trying to you know put it down your throat and you know the world of the, the god's view we need to stand regardless of the consequences It could be with your spouse, it could be your children, your parents. We need to stand for God's view. We need to to in order that for us to grow, we need to stand to grow our faith. We need to stop pleasing the world of our own selfish desires to to, so that we can actually rely on his faithfulness, his word. It is always true. It always happens. He has a great track record. He's never once pulled a promise from from the past. He's always been true. And so let's go to another one of God's resources. His peace. Turn with me to Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26. And uh, let me set the scene as this one as well. During this time, the Assyrian Empire was huge. It was taking over the world. It had actually taken over the northern kingdom of Israel already. And uh, Isaiah is prophesying to the southern kingdom of Judah. And uh, they're kind of fearful of uh, the Assyrians, that they're going to be next. And uh, Judah also was going through a state of a moral and spiritual decline, seeking help for their unrest and their anxiety through false gods. So in this portion of Isaiah's prophecy, he writes a song of trust for Israel to trust in God's protection. So I hope you found Isaiah 26. We're going to pick it up at verse 1. Follow with me. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up walls and ramparts for security. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the one that remains faithful. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. Show verse 3 up here on the screen. And I want you to notice, while in the midst of fear and anxiety of the Assyrian army coming to take over Judah, I want you to notice the condition that Isaiah says to Judah that in order for them to have or keep, perfect peace, okay? In order to have this perfect peace, then you need a couple of conditions that he says in verse 3, he says to have the steadfast of mind and trust in God. The steadfast of mind to stand firm, be willing, and to trust in God. This is another attribute of God, and he has perfect peace. You know that? God has perfect peace. You know why he has perfect peace? Because he's sovereign. His power overrides and trumps everything and anyone. There is nothing in the whole universe that puts God at risk of thwarting his plan. In fact, Isaiah is prophesying of God's future plan for Judah, while presently in the midst of the hard times and conflict. He encourages them by saying, In that day, the day of the Messianic kingdom, when Jesus comes and rules the world in Jerusalem, things will be great. We'll have secure walls. Nobody can get through. Only the righteous nations are going to be going through. Therefore, if we can have a steadfast of mind that believes in God's sovereignty and trust in God, regardless of the trials that we find ourselves in, we can too then tap into God's perfect peace. Because we know the final outcome, right? As, As believers in Christ, eternal life with him. The Apostle Peter said, this same thing in the New Testament by saying it this way in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You know, it's not wrong or a sin to have anxiety and worry. But if we carry it, We carry the weight of it through life, through our own circumstances all the time. What we're saying to God, we don't trust you in your ultimate plan and sovereignty over everyone and everything. And by doing so, we have passed an opportunity to to grow. To grow our faith by being refined by God that, that we would give us his perfect peace. And this is part of the preparation, too, to prepare us as a believer by relying on his peace that will give us the power, the resource to go somewhere that we can never go without. Let's look at another, his provision. His provision, Romans 8, and we're going to pick it up at verse 28. And as you're turning there, back to the New Testament, okay, Romans 8. Let me just kind of bring to your attention what I'm sure many of you already have noticed, the common theme of all God's spiritual power resources. They all have to do with God being ultimately in control of everything and everyone in the whole universe. And so really the question to us as believers in Christ, do we believe this? Do we really believe that he has that kind of power, of sovereignty, the power resource? Well, this power resource of of God actually continues that same theme. So follow with me at Romans chapter 8, and we're going to pick it up at verse 28. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the first among many brethren, firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Well, we'll stop right there, and I'll throw up verse 32 that we just read. And I want you to notice the reminder that uh, Paul gives us in Romans chapter 8. A reminder about Christ's gift to us that it is the greatest gift ever the most expensive gift that God could ever ever give the father did not spare him his son he delivered him up by sending him the perfect one the one and only to die for our sins wow I mean, it doesn't get any more valuable than that, does it? God himself, the second person of our triune God, became uh, man, and the Father did not spare him. Because he was the the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice, the only payment that could actually appease God's righteous judgment, his righteous and just judgment. Could, the only thing that could appease it of, from our sin, our sin, getting rid of our sin. Now, if God had no reservations whatsoever about pouring out His love to us through the death and resurrection of His Son, and to add to that the, the most expensive gift, we see His involvement to, to bring us to the knowledge and understanding of His gift. We see it in verse 28, By calling us according to His purpose. Verse 29, by appointing us to be conformed to His Son. Verse 30, by justifying and glorifying us. So because He did all that to save us, when we get to verse 32 when He says, How will He not also with Him freely give us all things? God is saying If I would do all that for you, as a wretched sinner that we are, doesn't it make sense that I would give you all you need to sustain such a costly and valuable salvation? In other words, God is not going to turn his back on us after we have been cleansed by him And positionally made righteous by his son. So, the all things are his promise to to freely give us everything we need to secure our salvation, spiritually speaking. However, in Philippians, Paul also includes that the all things is also all our needs, physical provisions but it's in the context of contentment. It's not according to our old nature, our selfish desires and wants, but notice what it's according to, what God will supply all our needs to. In Philippians 4.19, it says, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So if we're being refined through a trial that has a scraping the barrel for necessities in life, or we're left wandering and questioning God's involvement in our life, questioning that that stirs up emotions of spiritual pity and discouragement and physical discontentment, we have forgotten. We have forgotten who We are in Christ, and all God in Christ has done, and is doing, and will do for us. And we have missed an opportunity to grow our faith through God's refining. God's provision, a great resource, another power of of God to take us to places that we can never go without. Let's look at the final power, a resource. His help and temptation, Psalm 119. So if you could turn back to the Old Testament and to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, by the way, is um, the longest chapter in the Bible. It covers 176 verses. How would you like to memorize that one? Whew. Uh, It it takes you through the the Hebrew alphabet one letter at a time with songs of meditation and prayer and really the, the, the beauty and strength of God's Word. And the theme of Psalm 119 is all about dealing with afflictions and how God's Word is the only means from which to sustain us through them. So as I read these these verses in Psalm 119, I want you to see if you could pick up the actual affliction that the psalmist is battling with. We're going to pick it up at verse 9, Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart, that that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Here's three of the four verses I just read to you. Notice the question and statement in verse 10 that gives us the clue... Of the conflict or the affliction that the psalmist is writing about. It says, How can a young man keep his way pure? And do not let me wander from your commandments. Well, I'm sure you know what the, the affliction is. The the conflict is temptation. The temptation of hearing the siren call of the world's constantly tempting us to wander. Into sin. The psalmist's solution is simple, but it's hard. It's simple in knowing where to get the power to overcome temptations, but it's hard to do. God's word is really our safe zone from temptation, and the psalmist gives us a solution. Here it is by keeping it according to thy word. Your word. And then your word I have treasured in my heart. Yes, that means what you think it means. To memorize scripture. Put it in your heart. Because that is the only way you can actually call upon it at a moment's notice of the temptation that you find yourself in. Again, If we give in to this refining process, we we lose out on God's power source of his help in temptation. This uh, this solution of memorizing scripture in our hearts to resist temptation is basically the genesis from this sermon series that I've been um, talking about for the last two weeks. If you haven't noticed, all these verses I've shared with come from the topical memory system. It's on our website because we encourage our church to memorize Scripture. It's on our website. In fact, it's on your one of the verses is on your bulletin as well. We rotate it every week, a new verse, encouraging you to memorize Scripture. Our men and women uh, small groups memorize scripture from the topical memory system as well, and other scripture areas as well. It's important. These verses have been my inspiration, really. The ones that I've been sharing with you, they have been my inspiration and, and my personal power, resource, in keeping me on the road in following Christ. It's really been, these verses have been my fuel as as a follower. Fuel for followers. That's what they are. Because when you put this fuel into the vehicle of God's call to obey his instructions as a follower of Christ, you will have the fuel from which to travel to places God calls us as his followers. Believing and relying on God's resources, His Spirit that indwells within us, His strength, His faithfulness, His peace, His provisions, and His help in temptation. And adding to the equation of God's calling of obedience will allow us to live the new life. And James and Peter said it best, This way in their instruction. James said, But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. And then Peter says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourself also in all your behavior. You know, I, I know obedience. That word is kind of frowned upon a little bit in our society today because there's an attack on authority in our culture. You got, in order to be obedient, you've got to have an authority figure. And nobody likes authority anymore in our modern-day culture. But obedience is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing when the action comes from the heart of faith and love for our Lord. And by the way, this kind of obedience is displayed throughout the Bible out of love for the Lord. We see... Moses doing it, we, we see Abraham doing it, we see some of the prophets doing it. It's out of love for the Lord. And by the way, it's, it's, it's not delayed either. It's immediate. And, and it's not partial either. It's complete. There's no such thing as partial obedience or delayed obedience. It's complete. And right now, immediate And by relying on God's resource and adding this biblical obedience, we will have the power to travel to places we never thought we could go before. Places like putting Christ first. That means, like, before your spouse. Sorry, husbands and wives. Putting Christ first, before your job, before your career before your children and their school activities and their sporting activities, before your personal desires and goals. Scripture says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Fueled as a follower of Christ, you'll be able to travel to a place called separate from the world. You'll be able to separate from the, the world's call that, that calls you into Work on Sunday, time after week after week after week. You'll be able to separate from the lewd jokes being shared around the table at the family gatherings or at the lunchroom, at work. You'll be able to separate from the world's call of the nightlife, the drinking and the party and, and the having sex outside marriage. You'll be able to separate from watching movies you know that you shouldn't be watching. The Apostle John said it this way in 1 John. Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. Powered by God's spiritual resources, you'll be able to travel to another place, a place called be steadfast. You'll be able to be steadfast when fulfilling your calling, your responsibilities as a parent, as a spouse, employee, employer, a teacher, or a leader in the community. You'll be able to steadfast, be steadfast when you are called to be honest and upright in your personal and work dealings. Or at school. You'll be able to be steadfast as a witness and a light to a dark and corrupt world. And the Apostle Paul said it best in 1 Corinthians, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. By relying on God's resources, you'll be able to travel to places, again, that you never thought you could go, like a place called serve others. You'll be able to overcome fears of being responsible and accountable to others who you serve at home or at work or at church. You'll be able to serve others by adjusting and cutting out things in your busy schedule in order to serve others in your family, your neighborhood, your church, Or your community. And the Apostle Paul said it best as well in 2 Corinthians. He says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Powered by God's resources and being obedient to God's word, we will have the power to travel to a place like Give generously. To give generously by sacrificially giving beyond your ability to give to your church, to your family, to your friends, and those who are in need. To give generously by pre-planning ahead of time as you prosper. To give generously, cheerfully, without complaint, without being grudgingly about it. Is that a word, grudgingly? The Apostle Paul said it best this way in 2nd Corinthians. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And finally, for today anyways, fueled as a follower of Christ, you'll be able to travel to a destination you never, ever, ever thought you could go a place called develop world vision. Yeah, you'll be able to develop world vision that will allow you to see past the temporary things of this world. and You'll develop a vision that will, will allow you to focus on the heavenly things, eternal things of God. You'll be able to be powered by God's refining power to, to physically go places you never, ever dreamed you could go for the gospel message to, to be a shining light in a dark world for Christ and Jesus said it best this way in Acts 1.8 but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth these are some great places to travel isn't it as a Christian as a new person in Christ. Put Christ first, separate from the world, be steadfast, serve others, give generously and develop world vision. Now I know I've, I've thrown a lot at you in the last couple of weeks in regards to this subject of being the new self, putting on the new self. So let me just simplify it with a formula to be able to carry out this living the new life just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Here is the formula. Believe plus believe plus obey equals new life. Believe in the power of God, the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Believe that God is testing you through trials and tribulations and suffering. And believe he, believe that he finds it necessary to do that, to grow our faith. And believe that you can be fueled with the resources of God by letting God's Holy Spirit do that action in your heart and in your mind. And you will then be f- fueled to be able to obey God, to take that vehicle of obedience now fueled by God's resources and it equals living and working as the new self in Christ. Now, if you're here today possibly struggling a little bit to make sense of all this, then I have a simple formula for you. It's even simpler, more simpler than that. Here's the, here it is. Believe equals salvation. Yeah. Believe in Jesus, the one and only, who came to earth to die for your sins and mine. He rose on the third day, proving that he was God in the flesh, and that upon believing in him, you have salvation. And so that's, that's my call for, for us today. If that's you today, that you've never put your faith in Jesus before, then today is a perfect opportunity to do that. And I want to give you that opportunity. And for those of the rest of us too, maybe you've been putting off God's refining in your, in your life. You're fighting those trials that he sees a purpose in and necessary for us to grow our faith. And maybe it's time for you to, to give in and follow and believe as well and obey him. So either way, wherever you fit into that, I would like to ask you to just bow your heads and close your eyes as we go to the Lord in prayer. And so if you have never, ever asked Jesus Christ into your life, before. Knowing that you are a sinner and that you need a Savior, it could be simple, a simple little prayer. There's nothing special about the words, it's just your heart connecting with God. And so it could be something like, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need your help. I know I can't save myself. I know my destiny without you. Come into my life. Help me and guide me. And maybe you're here today as a believer and you've been struggling with the trials, not allowing God to refine you, not believing in the Holy Spirit that that lives within you and all the power that he gives you. And that belief equating to, to power resources that, that can take you places with obedience that you've never gone before. Maybe if that's you... And maybe you can say a simple little prayer, Lord, help me to believe that you are who you say you are. Help me to believe in all the power that you have put before me. And Lord, we thank you for the time that we've been able to be here today, opening up your word, the freedom that we have. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.